Hello. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're just doing a bit of a preamble as we wait. To a go preamble. Like a minutes. Did I say preamble? If I did, that's great. I, I didn't you should have preamble. It's the new thing. Preamble to freely give in a loose and meandering way. Thank you very much for being here. You were talking earlier about what I thought I heard was clarity all time, uh, just, just intention and motivation. And there's this thing around this feeling sometimes I think we get where we don't have enough time. Like, mm. Not enough time. Uh, we need more time. And I know that with myself, I've been very much governed by effective and efficient use of my time because I feel I need to make sure I get everything done. When in fact, I will never get everything done. What is everything? So, well, exactly. What is everything? And unfortunately, it is everything. I always try and get everything because there's a need to make sure that I don't drop the ball on something or I accomplish something or achieve something. So on one hand, like also with people in our community and people who do Vision 2020, there's this thing about, all right, I need, I need to know how to spend my time. You know, how can I spend my time impactfully, purposefully, happily? And that also, yeah, then that... So comes to the question like how how do you know whether it's purposefully impactfully or happily what is it that we need to ask ourselves how does it make so, you feel that's the question how does it make it? you feel but then is it about how it makes you feel now or how it will make you feel in the future oh now because maybe you'll be dead you may be dead but then you know i know to a certain degree having a nice spliff right now would make me feel amazing yeah and make me really sh feel shit later. <laughs> and so... Yes. Yeah, I don't, so there is some I wisdom. Don't. Some wisdom needed in the decision making. Yeah, I don't do that anymore. And similarly, if I go out on the bend, on a bender on, on a bend. school night, yeah. um, I know it'll feel amazing on uh, Wednesday evening when I'm in the pub. Yeah. Uh, and really rubbish Thursday morning when I have to get the kids to school. Right. Okay. This is true. This is true. So, so it does need some wisdom. It's not just purely a, uh, what is it? It's the something like the hedonic. Oh, yeah. Hed hedonistic like. sort of like pull. Yeah. Right. What gives me pleasure right now and I'll do it. Yeah. 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 I was listening to a thing the other day and it was saying that um, the, the kind of chemical difference between the feeling of contentedness Mm -hmm. and the chase, I think it was around happiness, but I may have got that wrong. So the thing around happiness is a bit more sort of dopamine associated. So okay. we kind of, we have the kind of, we have the sort of chase in that. But the thing around contentedness is that it's more about serotonin. So is a kind of, is a, is a sort of lower grade, but easier moving chemical reaction. And so uh, in terms of its kind of sort of um, the, the kind of the value we get from it, the chase, obviously we like dopamine things because we feel that as a sort of short, sharp shock. Um, but uh, but of course, there's a cost to that sort of the chase and the cost of the kind of rise and fall. Whereas the serotonin, and clearly I'm speaking way out of my fucking lane with all of this. <laughs> that, <laughs> and this is what happens when you read one little bit of a book and then you, you turn it into some Isn't sort of all of social media. <laughs> um, there's a big good serotonin because it's a kind of lower burn, sort of constant thing, actually is much kind of uh, better for you. And in the long run, actually a kind of much more sort of um, kind of sounder place to be. Mm. Yeah, I, I so that whole chemical aspect of it, um, I appreciate uh, that little spike versus the uh, yeah. more uh, longer lasting feeling. I relate that in more philosophical terms in terms of 
happiness or in the moment happiness versus long term well being and sense of meaning mm-hmm. or contentment. Yeah, as we we're saying, mm-hmm. uh, and there is something I was just listening to uh, a podcast about regret. Um, I wish I'd listened to that. <laughs> <laughs> you are sharp today. <laughs> I like it. Uh, <laughs> but yes, what there's this idea of making choices. Yeah, and so uh, some are something along the lines of cumulative benefit. Mm-hmm. So if you say someone said to you, oh, you could have a £50 note now or two £50 notes, mm-hmm. which would you choose? If I could choose <laughs> one or two now. Yeah, one £50 note now, I could give you one £50 note or two £50 notes. One £50 I'll note, choose two, two. Yeah, okay, you choose two £50 notes, okay. And you will never regret choosing the, one, the £50 note, will you? Because it's compensated by the two £50 notes. There will never be regret there. So you could either... Uh, go on uh, a Vipassana retreat, mm-hmm. silent retreat, uh, which I know you like. Mm-hmm. That kind of like very, very, or you could come to summer camp and give a talk. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not going to ask you to make the choice, but if whichever choice you make, n- one of them will never fully compensate for the lack of the other. Mm-hmm. And so there's this either this this kind of real strength sen- sense of regret that could come in, mm-hmm. uh, or pain because you've missed out on something that you can never replace and it will never be compensated by the decision or choice that you make yeah. right now. And so you either live in pain with all of these decisions we have to make and get blocked by them, mm. or you find a way to understand that this is part of life. Yeah. This is the whole process we go on, that every decision we make will will potentially lead to a, an incommensurate benefit or mm. a loss mm. that we can never... The cho- choice A will never compensate for choice B. It will just be something that we will have to live with. So what landed with me was uh, if you had a very strict set of values or views on life, very clear that, you know, I only like giving talks. I hate the Vipassana. Brilliant. That's yeah. great. You'll never regret that choice. However, some of us love life mm-hmm. fully. And one of the beautiful things of life is like we get joy from so many different things. So the fact that we get joy from so many different things, and I'm, I'm guilty of that as well, is like I've always, oh, I could have been a doctor, I could have been a teacher, I could have been this, I could have been that, you know, all of these things I would have believe I would have loved doing. Because of that, because of this joy that life can give us from all sorts of directions, we will always, as a result, feel that loss because every decision we make will cut off that potential source of joy. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, you could feel like, oh, I wish I only liked one thing which means I could easily make loads of decisions and my life would be simple. Or relish in the fact that I love many things, which means that every decision I make, I'm going to have to accept I'm going to lose something. But mm-hmm. then that's great because I love everything. Yeah. I'm sort of thinking about this whole, as you were talking, the whole thing around regrets. And my initial thought was, I'm not really sure that I do have regrets. And then I was thinking, well, is that true? Uh, clearly, there must be things that I, I sort of do. You get, and it's not that I just want one thing. I think maybe it's just that my brain isn't very good at sort of maybe consciously. Maybe this is a good thing, not sort of consciously holding on to those sort of uh, the the kind of the decision that was going on. So once I have kind of moved on, my brain just can't hold on to what was happening before. Therefore, I don't hold on to the kind of it could have been this or it could have been that. So the story that um, I was heard this morning was 
the story of a friend giving another friend a lift to the airport. And so he says, oh, I'll give you a lift. Um, you know, I'll make sure you get to the airport on time. And he fall, he sleeps in. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, what an idiot. So, you know, like really bad friend, you know, you get that sense of regret for being just not there for his other friend. Then they, re- then they find out that that plane crashed in the middle of the sea and everyone died. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, actually, there's no regret. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. It's like, actually, it was a good thing that I slept in, even though I went against my values and my uh, need to be a good friend. The story, well, the, the kind of the moral of the story there is like, from our position now in the past or in the future, we can potentially say the thing, decisions we made in the past that we may think we were regretful because they caused pain at the time has actually got us mm. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is where you're coming to instinctively. It's like, well, why would I regret anything? Because everything I did got me to this point. And I wanted to say, unless you don't talk about money before you send a proposal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one thing that I said just before that is maybe the thing is just... Do I feel like I lived in a way which was kind of sort of true to what I'm kind of most inspired by and most interested in? And I think my life does feel like I'm always trying to do that. So I'll say I always do it well, but I do feel like I'm trying to do that, which comes back to this the decision of what is going on when when I make a decision or when one makes a decision. Am I making the decision, you know, with the kind of best sort of uh, intent, with, you know, as close to my kind of values as possible? Maybe this kind of is slightly different to what you're talking about maybe this is not not that useful no, well i would say and i, I will put a pin in this we can we can have another uh, yeah. sort of complete tangent on the next episode <laughs> but i would relate what i was hearing there around um the decision making process and what, what what would lead me to another way is actually do we have free will I'm just oh, God, we're not going there. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> do we? Uh, do will we actually in control of all of these decisions yeah. that we think we think can control? And so, if you if you do have free will, then yes, there's regret. If you don't, my well, regret really isn't necessary because yeah. we weren't able to make choices in the first place. Yeah. Though we can choose to uh, <laughs> talk about money <laughs> before we send a proposal. Yeah. <laughs> let's bring it back okay thank you everyone uh for persisting <laughs> if you're still alive <laughs> you won't regret it um so one of the, the the conversations that i had earlier this week and and have had had for many with many people and i've experienced it myself is this whole challenge of writing a proposal uh, and thinking that the proposal was the sales document but before we go into that let's start off with ben because you, you you have lots of ideas around this other idea of proposal writing. Mm-hmm. Where where would you like to kick off with? What what's really alive in you when we think about this idea of proposals and pricing? Yes, I know when we did the last cohort of the course, there was actually a whole uh, you know not dissimilar to what we just spent the first half of the podcast doing. I kind of a sort of massive tangent talk around this and proposals. You know what type of proposals to write, what they should be. Should they be one page? Should they be 30 pages? Should they include testimonials? Should they include blah, 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 blah? All of this sort of lots and lots of conversation. And everybody, all the many different voices of the many different people uh, all had different ideas around um, what was kind of right and, and what was wrong. And I guess my kind of main main feeling is that we tend to use proposals um, as a sort of, 
we, so we, we, we oftentimes imagine that the proposal is this sort of very, uh, what's the right sort of phrase, this kind of real heavy lifting tool that um, that it is going to do the work of, you know, sort of chivying your prospective client or customer over the line. You know, it's gonna, it's basically going to sort of take them from a place where they're thinking about working with you to working with you. Um, and then it is going to do all of that. But of course, that is actually a big, big journey, really. Uh, and so I think we we really invest a lot in proposals. We think about them, you know, I've done this too, you know, you go back over, you change loads of wording in them, you kind of you, you kind of really imagine it is going to do a huge amount of lifting for you. Um, and the thing that I've sort of found both in the practice of having to companies that write many, many proposals and also having received many proposals is, of course, you know, that they don't actually do any of those things. And, you know, if you receive a proposal, many people will know this too. Oftentimes what you might do is, depending on where you are, you might whiz down, just go straight to the money bit. Um, and you may have ignored all of the bits beforehand. Um, so I think, yeah, the starting premise for this conversation it's probably that we sort of invest a huge amount in proposal writing. And I would argue we, we don't, you know, we expect the proposal to do more than it is ever going to do. Um, I would also say that sometimes we, um, well, I would have been guilty about this, around this, is I hide behind proposals mm. to avoid difficult conversations. Yeah. And it's been very much, a, um, you know, we'd have initial calls with the client, we, you know, Essentially, they present us the solution that they want, and then it was a case of us working out how to build it. So it was like, okay, let how do we cost up the mm. solution that they want? Mm -hmm. uh, and then it was a hit and hope because in the end, it's like they know what they want; they just want to pay as little for it as possible. Mm -hmm. And I got to work out what is that bottom. You know, we had to work out what is that uh, the the bottom level of that for us and them, so that we get paid something that we can actually pay the bills with, and mm -hmm. they get. They pay something. They choose us because we're cheaper than everyone else. Yeah. For example, that's particularly early early stage of our business. Um, what I've learned from you, and what I've also just recently learned from John Osborne, um, is how we can combine conversations, particularly if you're a coach or a consultant or someone who knows how to speak to people and mm -hmm. listen. Combine that skill with then making a proposal that they just can't refuse. Mm -hmm. Not because that's a compelling proposal. It's because they've agreed everything already up front. Yeah. Before they've even read the thing, they've mm -hmm. already said yes. Mm -hmm. And that's the premise of this, is that before you send the proposal, before you send anything, so, and this is what I heard you say, is like all the proposal is just confirming exactly what they you talked about, mm -hmm. even down to the money. Mm -hmm. And so this is for me, if you're in a space of like, oh, Oh, what's the price I should send? You know, what's my day rate? Or what's the average day rate? What's the day rate of the people that they've already bought from? Or what's, you know, all of these things in your head about rates and time mm. so that you can, like, yeah, it's going to take me 20 hours, but how can I make sure that I get paid 10 grand? It's like, I don't know. I don't know if 10 grand is too much and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, all of that doubt, uncertainty, lack of confidence, and even, like you say, negotiating myself down because I'm scared that they're going to reject me. How do we avoid all of that? So that when we write it down, we know it's a surefire thing. Yeah, I mean, we have to have done. Yeah, I think yeah, the, the key thing in that, I think, is, as you say, the proposal is a summing up document. It's not a sales document. Uh, it's never going to persuade anybody of anything. 
And, you know, critically in the context of this conversation, if it is the first time that they have seen or heard or you've had any any sort of interaction around money, um, it's also probably going to be quite surprising for them. Uh, and so the what you know the the kind of the sorry truth, if you like, that sort of comes out of this is the need to have spoken about all of those things in John Oswald's words, the need to have done to invest it in the conversation, to invest it in the relationship so far that you are really totally clear what the compelling, impossible to say no to no offer is. And you can only do that if you've had a conversation. You can only do that if you've had many conversations, if you understand what their motivations are, if you really understand the thing that they are hoping and trying to change as a consequence of working with you. The more that you understand those things, the more the document can be a summing up because you've spoken about all of that. You've spoken about the change they want. You've spoken about how you suggest that together, you how you will work together to help them enjoy that change that they want. All of those things will have been discussed. You've spoken to them about what they are kind of willing or able to invest and or different ways that they may be able to pay you to get to the level that you both kind of want, which is a level that they want to pay in your words, a level that they want to pay, but the level that you you need to earn and find that kind of ground because there's different ways, of course, they can get to that. You may ideally feel that the work, the work is worth up here. They may initially kind of, they may agree with you, but not have the means to pay that. But again, you need to have a conversation because it might be that there are different ways for them to pay, that they could pay, you know, pay with payment terms, they could pay over a period of time, whatever it might be. There's lots of different ways. But the point is, all of these things need to be discussed. These decisions can't be made on the back of a proposal. Uh, A client's never going to read it and go, okay, yes, I'll do X, Y, Z. All of these things need to be discussed. All of this needs to be invested in beforehand. And, you know, so it avoids doing the thing, like you said at the beginning, which I think is right, is to avoid the same thing where we, we use a proposal to hide behind. I don't want to talk about the money. So I'm just going to drop a number into the document and hope beyond hope that it ends up being the right thing. But, of course, that isn't really going to serve us particularly well. A much better outcome, if a little bit of a harder journey, is to step into the kind of awkward, slightly messy ground of talking about the money in the same way you talk to them about all of the the aspects, the things that they're trying to change. Uh, So in the spirit of a seven-point plan or a silver bullet for any of you in the process of writing a proposal, hopefully not too late in that process where you're just writing it right now, but just about to engage with the client, the way I look at it now is have this conversation. And when you have this conversation, and if you're on the community, we've broken it down in a, in a podcast, uh, in an article uh, on Mighty Networks. Um, first stage, like John says, is what is. So what is the situation right now? Actually, I'm going to rewind a bit. But what, were all, what happened to me when I was an agency is like someone came and said, can you make this happen? Can you do this? Can you build this? And it's like very prescriptive. I'm, I want to buy this off of you or there's a, a, uh, they've shared a, a requirement but then not to assume that that's the only thing they want or that is actually the thing they want. So you go into the conversation, what is, what's the situation right now? You know, what's the context, all the things, the, the challenges they face. Uh, what could be, I think is the next one. It's like, um, where did they want to get to? What is it they wish for? What is it the things that they want to, you know, the problems they want to solve maybe or the, the customers they want to get to or whatever it is. It's like there's a, they've defined in their heads what it is, um, 
the, the state, not the thing necessarily to forget what the actual, whether it's a CRM system or website, a uh, 12-month coaching program, whatever it is, forget that. So what does it get them to? Which I think we talked about in the program. And this is where the five stages maybe get mixed up. I, I would say there is like, as a someone of experience, whether you're a coach, consultant, facilitator, an expert in your field, it's like being able to say what, what John called what wows. It's like, actually, if you did this, or if you looked at it in this way, maybe we could do something else. Maybe you could achieve this. And the wow bit is like for them, the penny to drop. Oh my God, of course. That's amazing. That's exactly what I want. I, I didn't know that. And Lawrence and I had many of those conversations with clients like, oh God, yeah, no, we didn't, don't need that. We need this. And then it was, I think the, la- the, the other thing was how will we or will we? It's like, okay, based on how I work, based on how you work, timings, et cetera, et cetera. Or how, how could this practically look? Mm-hmm. And then if they if that all sounds good, then it's that okay, which is Ben. What Ben talks about is the money. It's like, right? What does this term mean? How do you get to start talking about numbers? Not necessarily bartering or um, haggling in terms of how much they're willing to spend, but how much would it be worth them to achieve this thing? How much would it be cost them not to do this thing? You know, how much are they spending on other projects? How much are they earning per year? Like, you know, and Ben can elaborate more on those things. So then you have all of this information where hopefully they're just nodding and agreeing and yesing and all of that stuff. And it's like, you're just making notes mm-hmm. for your proposal. Mm-hmm. One thing I'd say, which comes up as you say, actually, even if somebody who is listening to this is actually just about to write the proposal, I would say, pause, hold on. Actually, just to get back on, a, have a conversation, even if it's one conversation with your prospect, just to go back to them and say, look, I'm just about to write this proposal now. But I wanted to just double check a couple of things and to spend half an hour exploring, even in a kind of headline sense, those topics that John laid out that you shared there. You will get so much from that that actually the the kind of the proposal will then resonate more. The proposal, you know, then it's not doing the selling. Because the other thing is that, you know, we sort of talk about, I spoke earlier, this idea that a proposal is a summing up document. There's really two other things that a proposal should do. It should be when the prospect, when your prospect reads it, they should see themselves in it. They should see the words that they use played back to them. They should see the ideas that they have played back to them. They should see the thing that they want to change played back to them. They should see themselves in it. Uh, and so if you've not yet explored those things, just straight away having a half-hour conversation to run through that sequence that John shared that you were talking about there will give you some of that source material so that when they do come to see it, they will basically see those kind of key things. So yes, it is a sort of summing up. Yes, it is a chance for them to see themselves in the proposal. There is a third thing, which is which is a thing around reassurance, but we can come to that. Uh, we can come to that uh, separately. And, and, and I think so. Just you know, even if you are writing a proposal, taking half an hour to have those conversations will make it much more likely that um, something positive comes from it. And then also, like you're saying, yes, the importance to have conversations around money. So there are some specific things you can ask, like you were sort of spoken about there. But a straight away asking whether somebody has a budget for something. And of course, we know that most of the time, you know, ninety nine point nine times out of a hundred. Clients say, I don't know, uh, tell me what it costs. 
you know, even in that situation, actually saying to them, okay, well, in a situation like this, because what you're trying to do is you're looking for indicators. You're, you're looking for indicators. You're looking for signals to understand what may be appropriate for them to invest. And, you know, with some information, and I'm sure you will, you know, you writing the proposal will have some idea about it. What you want to do, you ask them, one of the questions to ask, like we say, is about what is your budget? What is it that you want to spend? And even if they say, I don't know, then you can go back to them. Well, look, in this situation, clients like this typically invest somewhere between this and this. And you want a kind of X and Y range there, which maybe makes you, the proposal writer, feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because I think always we need to push ourselves a little bit more on this. Oftentimes, particularly for people in this community and around, oftentimes what we will do is that we will kind of value ourselves down. So what we want to do is go back to them with this idea of a range, because what we're trying to explore is, you know, where did they sit? Where did they fall? And there's a kind of good, useful sort of test when you go back to them with this. Well, clients typically invest between this and this. You know, if they fall off their chair, then you know the range that you've gone back to them with is probably too high. If they're really sitting there and they kind of, you know, they're, they're kind of relatively unfazed, you'll know that the kind of top end of your range is a very acceptable thing for them. Again, you're always looking for signals. You're always looking for indicators. And there are other things like you also kind of uh, flag there that you can ask, which also kind of reveal this a little bit. You know, how much have you invested in similar things in the past? Or, the, you know, that really useful question, you know, what is the cost of not doing this work? Uh, and that will point to some emotional things, some kind of, uh, you know, some a whole range of markers will come from that. But it is also a way into the money because, you know, we do what we do have to have a conversation around the money. And look, you were kind of making reference. So if we're having this conversation and they're nodding in agreement all of the time, then we know that we were on the right track. What I might kind of add to that is actually what we really want a little bit is we do want to have flushed out some of the things that they don't agree with. Because then we do know that we're getting to a place which is genuinely kind of aligned with where they are. Because, of course, it's easy for us just to appear like we're nodding in agreement. Uh, but actually what we want is we want some response. We want we want to kind of understand. We want to dig, dig below the surface a little bit. Um, and so that that does require conversation. It requires conversation along the lines that John was sharing. It requires us to do some of this hard work of bringing money to the fore, you know, as we sort of talk about next week, how to have these grown-up conversations around money. But the more that we do that, then there's nothing in the proposal. Then there's no need when they receive a proposal just to race down to the money bit at the bottom, which if you've not spoken about it, Will will more will will happen almost all the time because that's the thing that they're also trying to make that ambiguity and that uncertainty go away. So they'll just race to that bit. If you've spoken about all of that stuff in the context of all of the things that they want to change and all the things which are important to them, there are no surprises in there. And also, you can then establish up front because you may find that actually there is no way the client is ever the prospect is ever going to be able to pay what you need them to pay. And wouldn't it be better if you knew that before you'd invested the time in writing a proposal? That's why you've got to talk about all of these things in advance for your benefit and for theirs. Yeah, that actually, that really hits home, that whole like agonizing for hours and maybe days on a proposal when in fact I could have just said, sorry, we're not going to work together because this isn't going to work. No, we can't do it. I can't do it. And yeah, and I feel like if you're in a numbers game and you want to, do, like Francis was saying, where she receives proposals where nothing pertains to her, that mm -hmm. feels like a kind of like just cold proposal writing, just yeah. firing stuff off at random people. It's like it's that it feels like that kind of um, boiler room approach of just like just yeah. 
falling around. It's really because I got one the other day that said I looked at your proposal on LinkedIn. No, looked at your profile on LinkedIn and uh, thought that you would be relevant because I have outsourced developer roles for companies in Ireland. I was like, the fuck are you talking about? How is there anything on my proposal on LinkedIn that would give you any idea that I knew anything about writing something for a computer? But anyway, yeah, it's that kind of, it's the just the cold emptiness of that. It wastes our time. It wastes their time. It just yeah. spreads more unhappiness in the world. So if you want more happy people, have more happy conversations about money, which we'll be talking about next week. Yeah. And then you will happily price and you will get happy projects, and the world will be a better place. And you will happily not waste your time on proposals which are not worth the energy. Exactly. So until next time, thank you very much, Ben. <laughs> we, will, we, will, we will tackle uh, free will. Yes, let's do a dedicated one on that. And, uh, and see how that uh, connects to uh, talking adult conversations around money, because, you know, whatever comes out of our mouths around money, we have no choice about, so we might as well have a conversation. We can't be held responsible for it. We have no free will. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone, for listening in and, and sticking with the... the, the Occasional tangents. No, the, the broad smorgasbord of concepts and content that we bring to you. Not just It's not just about the money. It's all about the stuff around it. Until next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Laters. Bye.